No, I haven't lost my sense of direction. I have put the pulpit over here this morning because um, as we enter into the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be talking about the Beatitudes today. And it just felt like, as I was praying this morning, I want you to know I'm one of you. So I don't want to stand behind this this morning. Because I want you to know as we enter into these words of Jesus, we're in this together. I need this because I need my notes. I need my Bible. (laughs) But this feels very vulnerable. But I want you to know we're in this together. I shared last week with some friends that I would be teaching on the Beatitudes, and one of them asked, which one? And I said, all of them. And they said, how long is this sermon going to (laughs) be? I think they were thinking, you know, there is a a big football game tonight, and we'll get out in time, right? And the reality is we're trying to stuff 10 pounds of potatoes into a five-pound sack this morning as we studied the Beatitudes. And so here's the game plan. Yes, I said game plan. We have to. It's Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, okay? Here's the game plan. We're going to take time to lay out some foundational stuff I think Jesus is saying as he says these Beatitudes. I think they're foundational and so important because they will carry us through all this sermon that we're entering into. But not just that, I think it's exactly what Jesus is calling us to as disciples. So we're going to take the time to to lay that foundation, and then we're going to look at some of these Beatitudes, and, and we're going to only look at some of them. We just can't get to all of them. But then we need to get to the point where we go, so what do we do with this? So that's where we're headed this morning. So if it's 20 after and we haven't even started a Beatitude yet, it's all right. But let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we are so grateful for your word. Jesus, these are your words. You spoke them to your disciples. And we have been given the gift of having them today. And so this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would help us. Help us to understand what Jesus is is saying. Help us to desire to follow him with our whole hearts. Bless us this morning. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've come to realize that most of our lives are based around transactions. I never thought of that before. A few weeks ago I did. But uh, tomorrow's Valentine's Day, right? I was at Jewel last night. Lots of flowers, cards. You know what? All women looking. Guys, we know. We got till tomorrow. But here's the transaction that often happens. Now, Kathy works tonight. She won't be, we won't be going out and doing anything special. But here on a date night, here's what usually happens. Friday night tends to be our date night, and she'll say, what do you want to do tonight? I'll go, I don't know. Why don't we grab dinner and catch a movie? She'll be like, great. She'll say, what movie do you want to see? And I'll be like, oh, how about this one? And she'll go, uh. she'll go, how about this one? And I'll be like, mm. And then I might say something like this. All right, how about... We'll go see the movie you want, and I get to pick the restaurant. Okay, right? 
transaction. I'll do this if you do that. Not bad at all. It's a compromise. We're both happy. We're just really glad to be together. It doesn't really matter where. But that's a transaction, right? That says, hey, I'll do this if you do that. Okay, let's do that. Where I realize that a lot of our life is based on transaction is in our discipleship group. We were talking, we were in the book of 1 John, and John says, hey, if you love God, but you hate your brother, like you're lying. You need to love your brother. And in the conversation, what, what dawned on all of us is, we'll love our brother, but back in our head somewhere, we expect something out of it. Like, okay, God, like I will love... First of all, I think John is not saying love somebody you already love. If, if, if John was saying, hey, Mark, love your wife, no problem. John's saying love your brother because there's a, a brother that you're having difficulty with, right? That's what makes it difficult. And you say, okay, God, I'll love him, but you better change him, <laughs> right? It's in us. It, like, I, I expect something in return. I will do this if you'll make him different. Okay, it's a transaction. Forgiveness. We are called to forgive. And we go, okay, okay, I will. But I expect something in return. At least that they would stop doing what they need to be asking for forgiveness for, right? Okay, and that's where Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times? Like, I'm going to forgive, but like, what if they don't stop doing that? How many times do I need to forgive? There's a transaction there. And when we enter into what God has called us to, as if it's a transaction, we're going to see that that doesn't work well. We can come to uh, the, the, the fifth chapter of Matthew and look at this as if Jesus is offering a transaction in these Beatitudes. We can hear him, and I would say, for most of my life, this is how I heard it, okay? That's why I want you to know I'm, I'm with you on this, because this is stirring in me things that I go, okay, God, change me, transform me. Because I usually hear this first passage, the first Beatitude, verse 3, as this. Jesus saying... If you will become poor in spirit, then I will bless you by giving you the kingdom of heaven. Transaction, right? If you will become poor in spirit, I'll bless you by giving you the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Now, I want to say something, and maybe this isn't your thinking, but I realize stuff like this is in me, and maybe I didn't notice it until somebody said it, but... We can approach this if we see it as a transaction. This is how we can approach it. I appreciate the offer, Jesus. I'm not sure exactly what you're offering me, though, because you say, if I'll become poor in spirit, you'll give me the kingdom of heaven. And you see, I have accepted you as my Savior, and I have been told that I have the assurance that I will go to heaven someday. So it seems like I already have the kingdom of heaven, And the idea of becoming poor in spirit? 
I'm not sure if I want to do that. I could try. But I struggle like with that. So I appreciate the offer, and I'll do what I can, but I can't guarantee anything. Thank you. Maybe skip down a couple. The meek one kind of stands out at me, probably because I struggle with being meek sometimes. And we can hear Jesus say, if you will become meek, humble, then I will bless you because you will inherit the earth. And again, we go, huh, okay. Appreciate the offer, Jesus. But you see, I have heaven. And it seems like you're giving me the earth. Risk reward, right? Like, I think I'm going to hold with heaven. Because that meek thing, I really struggle with that. Like, I got no filter. Like, I, sh- I'm a short fuse, a temper. Like, mm, I can say I'll try. And I'll, I'll try, but I know myself. Meekness is not my strong point. And so, thank you for the offer. I'll do my best. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I go, that's in me when I hear these beatitudes. And let me just say that Jesus isn't making an offer as he is telling the the people how come they're blessed. He isn't making an offer. He's pronouncing He's making a pronouncement. Okay? Jesus is making a pronouncement. I had to look that up because I wrote that. I go, okay, what's that definition really? An authoritative declaration. I think that's what Jesus is saying here in the Beatitudes. So let's look at what's going on here. Two weeks ago, we see Jesus intentionally calling four fishermen. Two brothers and another set of two brothers, and he's going along and he sees them and he says, hey, follow me. And they drop what they're doing. They put away their nets. One set of brothers leaves their dad and they follow Jesus. We would call them disciples, right? Last week we said that Jesus went around the the area of Galilee. Remember what he was doing? He was teaching, preaching, and healing. And people from all over the area started to come to hear him and be healed by him. So you have a crowd now starting to gather to follow Jesus. We enter into chapter 5 here, and it says, Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So he sees this crowd that is following him, and he goes up and sits on the side of the mountain, and his disciples come up to sit and listen. Actually, they probably stood to listen. A rabbi a teacher, Jewish teacher, would often teach as they walked. And, and we see this with Jesus all the time, right? He's walking with his disciples and he's teaching them. He sees things and says, blessed are those. He's, he's doing things and talking. But when a rabbi sits, it's because they are, they are, they are about 
to say something important. They're about to speak a sermon. This is official. And so his disciples come to listen. Who were his disciples? Well, we know there's at least four. Matthew, the writer of this gospel, doesn't come on the scene until chapter 9, so we know he's not there. There might have been some others. In chapter 10, I think it is, we see that he has the 12, but there's at least these four fishermen. Okay? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We know those four are there, but there are also others, I think, that Matthew is calling disciples. They are people who have started to follow Jesus because they truly believe he is the Messiah. And they want to listen. They want to hear him. This is the promised one, the Messiah. And we want to follow him. And that's who the primary target of this sermon is going to be. It's towards his disciples. But we also know that the the crowd has come to listen in as well. How do we know that? Well, by the end of chapter 7, it says the crowd was amazed at his teaching because it had such authority. So in order to get a handle on what Jesus is saying here, we need to look at the original Greek. I know. Oh, my. It's so rich. In the original Greek, this word blessed or blessed, and this word would actually probably fall under the blessed because there's a difference in two different Greek words. The one that's used a lot in our, in our Bibles is uh, the word eulogeo. I don't speak Greek, sorry. Eulogeo. Eulogeo is a verb that means to bless somebody. It's what's used a lot in our Bibles. There's two Hebrew words that that parallel these two Greek words. And so it would be, Lord bless me. The Lord blessed his people. The Lord blessed Abraham. Right? Um, Jacob blessed the two sons of Joseph. Somebody is doing an action, a verb of blessing somebody else. And that is very normal throughout the Bible. The word used here in Matthew 5 for blessed or blessed is the word makarios. Makarios is an adjective. It's describing what something already is. a difference, a huge difference here. And so if we read this, realizing that the word makarios is used, we might read Matthew 5, 3, something more along this line. You are blessed because you are poor in spirit. And those are the ones that will enter the kingdom of heaven. You see that difference? This isn't transactional. Jesus is, is, is making a declaration. His disciples are there, and he says, you are blessed because you are poor in spirit. And those are the people that will enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me give you a, an example that might help this. No examples are, are perfect, so this one has its flaws, but, but it made me think as a dad, I, I know most of you have had little ones or have little ones. And about this time of year, we're in February, and you get cabin fever, and the kids are just bouncing off the walls, right? And as a dad, I might go, listen, I will bless you kids if you will have a better attitude, 
listen, get along with each other, love each other, be grateful. If you will show those things over the next few months, I will bless you by taking you to Disney World. I'm in. Right? That's transactional. If you kids will behave in this manner, I will give you this. I will bless you with this. Oh, we want that. And probably in those months, if they start to act up, all I had to have to do is go, mm, sorry, sorry. Why? Because they want to go to Disney World. That's not what Jesus is saying. If I told my kids, however, you are blessed because you are joyful, because you listen, because you love each other, You have grateful hearts and you are blessed. And part of that blessing is as a family, we're going to Disney World. You see the difference? As a dad, I don't want their behavior to just be to get something. I want their behavior to be who they are. And that is what I think Jesus is saying here. We often say that Jesus isn't as concerned about our actions as he is about our heart. But I think for me, I've struggled, what does that really mean? Well, my heart wants it. Sorry, I just did this. Right? We, we say that. And, and for me, this was just really helpful to go, ah, oh, Jesus is declaring this is who you are. and That's why you're already blessed. So we're going to look at some of these beatitudes in that lens and see if, if we understand what Jesus is saying. And then we need to ask the question, what do we do with this? Because I have a feeling already in your heads you're thinking certain things about, uh, what does that mean? So the first one, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, what we said was, Jesus is saying, you are blessed because you are poor in spirit. And that's who makes up the kingdom of heaven. And so therefore, he's saying, unless you are poor in spirit, you can't have the kingdom of heaven. So what does poor in spirit mean? Again, in the Greek, there's two words for poor. There is poor that says, you don't have much. That would be the widow who puts her two mites in the offering, right? She's poor. She doesn't have much. And that's one form of the word poor. The other one is the beggar who sits at the gate of the temple, begging because he has absolutely nothing that society would want. He has no possessions. He has no clothes. He's probably not clean. He doesn't probably have the best personality. It's not his good looks. There is nothing in society just pretty much ignores him and disregards him because he has nothing that they want. That's poor. That's this poor. Poor in spirit. A beggar 
would often, because of their position, look away and simply put their hands up, hoping somebody would put a coin in their hand. They did not want to make eye contact. They did not want to have you look at me and see who I was. And you'll remember that Peter and John, on their way into the temple in Acts, shortly after the ascension of Christ, after they've received the Holy Spirit, they're walking into the temple, and it says they saw a man begging. Think about what Peter says. The first thing that he says to this man, look at us. Look at us. I always wondered why he said that. But as I've studied this, I realized because he wouldn't have been looking at them. He is ashamed to look at them. I have nothing. Please just put something in my hand and keep moving. And yet, Peter sees him. He says, I see you. Look at me. Because the kingdom of heaven is about to break through. To change everything in your life. He's about to heal him because he says, I don't have money, but... I will give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up. The kingdom of heaven was about to break through. Now, what's Jesus as he looks over this crowd? And he, I believe, is taking things that they know and see and understand and connecting them to spiritual things that he's calling them to. I know he sees poor people out in the crowd. And he says... To his disciples, you are blessed because you are poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You see, how do we get into the kingdom of heaven? We have to realize that we have absolutely nothing, nothing that is of any value to God. That's a a struggle in me because I want to... My spirit wants to go, come on, there's a little, little bit, a little bit that's, that's okay, that's likable. The reality is, the Bible says, there is nothing in us that God should want or desire. We are absolutely broke with nothing. We all are. And we have to understand that. When you say, no, I'm not. It doesn't change anything. You are, but we have to understand that. And that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you when you get to the point where you realize you have absolutely nothing to offer God. Because that's what it takes. Think about the the rich young man. Okay, He's going to connect money. And is he talking about finances here? I think in some ways. But I think he's definitely talking spiritual bankruptcy, right? And think about when he, as I've started thinking through this transaction, I I think about all kinds of stuff in the gospel. I'm like, oh, think about the young man who is wealthy, right? He comes to Jesus, he says, hey, what do I need to do to receive eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. Shocking, why? Hang on, that's, he says, keep the commandments. And, and, And the young man goes, which ones? And I love that Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and he takes out a group of them, and the group that he takes out are the ones that deal with other people. Don't lie, don't covet, right? Don't, don't steal. 
Okay, these are all between you and your neighbors. Don't do these things. And, he, and the young man goes, I've done those. I'm good. And then Jesus says, okay, there's one more that keeps you from being perfect. Give your money to the poor. Come on, follow me. What happens? The young man goes away sad because he had a lot. And I know Jesus, too, in one of the Gospels says he was sad because he desired for this young man. Let go and follow me. Think of what he was offering we see the fishermen do it, and you go, well, they, they were just fishermen. But we, we're going to see Matthew, a tax collector who had a considerable amount, I think, is just going to walk away from it to follow Jesus. And that's what he was offering. He says, why? Because you can't enter the kingdom of heaven with money? No. He's saying, you find your security, you find your identity in your wealth. That's who you are. That's your, fine, that's your security. And to go, ooh, I can't, I can't let go of that. What if I need it? I can't let go of that because you see everywhere I go, they go, oh, that's the guy. Look at the clothes. That's the guy. And he walks away sad because he had much. I think Jesus is connecting that here to poor in spirit. And he says, you have to realize you have nothing you are bankrupt. And the king of the universe, the God of, of creation, looks down and he says, look at me. Look at me. I see you. You're an image bearer of mine. You have nothing of value, but I'm going to adopt you as a child of the king. Is that good news? We can hear Jesus' words as condemning. That is good news, folks. The king says the only way you enter into the kingdom is realize you have nothing. And when you do, the king says, you're mine. I give you everything. You're blessed. Blessed are the meek. Verse 4. Blessed are the, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. I'm sorry, yeah, I skipped one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This word, Greek word, makarios, carries with it blessed, but it also has the implications of happy. What? I've talked to people, and they're like, those two don't seem to go together. But if you're blessed, shouldn't you be happy? I think too often as Christians, we go, oh, oh, I, I don't have happiness, I have joy. And we look and we sound like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, right? Like, oh boy, I don't have happiness, but I have joy. I go, Jesus is offering happiness. And it's happiness that isn't based on circumstance. Oh, that's joy, Mark. I, I get it, but it's, 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 this, it's this happiness and so then when we come to this verse and it says, happy are the sad people, we go, hang on. Uh, I think something's wrong. Something's mistranslated or something. Because happy are the sad people. Those who mourn, 
No. They aren't happy because they mourn. This idea of mourning and grief. I know Jesus was looking on the crowd and he knew all probably most of them had experienced deep mourning and grief, especially over losing a loved one. I look over and I know most of us have too. And until you, you feel that deep, deep pain of grief, you don't get it. But when you do, you understand. And Jesus is saying, hey, you have absolutely nothing. But the creator of the earth sees you and wants to adopt you, so acknowledge you have nothing to give him. And, and now he's saying, well, what you do have is your sin." And so in that, in that becoming poor in spirit, and you, you realize you have nothing, but I do have sin. He says, blessed are you. You are blessed because you mourn over that sin. You see it for what it is, this rebellion against God, and you see it and understand it, and it makes your heart ache for who you are, for who you know you are. And he says, you're blessed. You'll be made happy. Why? Because you mourn over your sin? No, he doesn't leave you there. He says, because you will be comforted. I know you see your sin. I know you struggle with it. I know you're... The evil one wants to say you're worthless. But you're not. You will be comforted because you mourn over your sin. So you are blessed Because you mourn, and you will be comforted. Next one, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Do the meek inherit our earth today in our world? It's the powerful. It's the rich. It's the influencers, right? That's who gets to make the rules. That's who we would say rule the earth. We're just the people that have to live under their rule. Jesus says that, not in the kingdom of heaven. You are blessed because you are meek. That's that's who's given the earth in God's kingdom. And it seems contrary. You have to stand up and fight, right? We are Christians. We have to fight. And Jesus says, meekness is power under control. We are going to trust that God is the one with all the power. Jesus is going to the cross. We'll talk about Peter's actions, but he goes, I could call angels to come. I have all the power in the world. But I'm going to be meek. I'm going to put it under control because God's will is for me to lay down my life for you. And Jesus is saying, blessed are you who are meek. Blessed, you are blessed because you are meek. You will inherit the earth. Here's an important point that I think all of these say, but meekness 
it makes it more obvious. I've heard this. I know I've thought this. I know I've probably said this. Somebody will say, last week at work, this person, oh, I wanted to pop him right in the the nose, right? I wanted to say so many things. I wanted to tell them off, but I know I'm a Christian, so I didn't. I bit my tongue. I didn't say anything. I walked away. And let me ask you, is that what Jesus is calling us to when he calls us to meekness? No. Is that meekness? You see, he's calling us to something we can't do. In all of these, he's calling us to something we can't do. You can't just strap on meekness. You can look meek, but it doesn't mean you are meek. You can look like you love your enemy, but it doesn't necessarily mean you really love your enemy. And Jesus is saying, I'm not calling you to make it look right. I'm calling you to be meek. And these are things we can't do. Jesus has just raised the standard even beyond, and he's going to say in the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness is better than the Pharisees, you got no shot. Hang on. Like the Pharisees are already way up there. I'm here, and now you're raising the bar way up there. He's calling us to these things, saying that we are blessed because this is who we are. And and we go, "Mm, this isn't fair because I know who I am. There's a progression here. We're, we're only going to do one more beatitude because I want to get to, there's an important thing. What do, we, what do we have to do with this? The next one is, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see this, this progression of, I realize I have nothing to offer. The only thing I have is my sin. I want to fix things in my own strength and power. And Jesus is saying, hey, set it aside. Only I can do that. And now we get to where we start to desire what God desires. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you are blessed because you do hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you will be satisfied. As we start, this is the good news, folks. As we start to hunger and thirst for God and his righteousness, he says, we will be satisfied. What a blessing. Well, there's more. But here's the thing. I want us to get to this question because there's some, this begs a question. You said, Mark, blessed, I'm blessed because I am poor in spirit. What if I'm not? You said I'm blessed because I mourn, but what if I don't? You said I'm blessed because I'm meek, but what if I'm not? Now what? And that's why I can't stop here, because we don't want to stop here, because there is an answer to all of this. Jesus gave it to us. He's already preached it. He said, repent. 
Repent. We, we have been using a definition of repentance. It's just really, it, 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 sound, it makes sense to me. It resonates with me. Gene, could you put the definition up there? You got it? Good. It says biblical repentance means responding to God's love by being transformed in your convictions and actions. It means turning towards God and away from whatever dishonors Him. Biblical repentance is not about your emotions, your efforts, or your resolve. It's about your surrender. Repentance is about your surrender. And here's what I've seen as I've been in the Word here in in Matthew 5 in my own life. As I see in my life, as I'm going and doing life, and I see something that shows up, and, and the Holy Spirit says, that's not meekness. I go, oh, that isn't meekness, is it? And I hear Jesus' words saying, that's who you were, but that's not who you are. Repent. Repent isn't this, oh, I'm sorry, God, I'll try not to do that again. No, repent it is, ah, you have shown it to me, God. I see it, I see it, and you have said that's not who I am, that's who I was. I'm going to turn from that and turn to you, and I'm going to surrender that. When stuff in me says, you need to stand up for your rights, you need to fight that, I go, that's not meekness. That's me, that's my old nature wanting to do that. And Jesus says, that's not who you are. That's who you were. You're blessed because you are meek. And I go, surrender that, God. I want to surrender that to you. That's a beautiful thing. Jesus doesn't condemn us. He says, leave that. Turn to me. Now, here's the important thing. We have something that these disciples did not. We have the Holy Spirit. Right At this point, as they sit in front of Jesus, as they stand in front of Jesus, they did not have the Holy Spirit yet. Jesus hadn't been crucified, raised, and gone back to heaven where he promised he would send the Holy Spirit. But we do. Think of Peter sitting there. I think of all the disciples, whoever they were, listening and hearing these words of Jesus and going, wait, what did he say? Right? Like, uh, of these guys, at least these four guys, they go, Peter was the most likely not to be meek, right? Okay? We have a zealot that also comes in with the group. I'd have a feeling he wasn't meek either. But Peter, we know a number of times, he is not meek. And we get to the point where they're going to, they're going to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? He pulls out a sword and he swings it. He cuts off the ear of a servant, right? And here's how I hear that now after reading this. Jesus turns and goes, Peter, that's not who you are. That's who you were. Put the sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. But that's not what I've called you to. Trust trust the Father. This is the road he has called me to. Peter, be meek. And I know that Peter's like, mm, 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 mm. right? 
Why? Peter did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling him yet. He was trying to do what Jesus had called him to. Jesus kept saying, oh, I can't believe you guys, but but there is a change that comes in Acts. When the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, and I want you to think about the transition, the, the transformation that, that Peter's life takes. As the Holy Spirit comes and indwells him, and he starts to proclaim the truth of the kingdom of heaven. As he goes and has compassion, as he goes and is patient and loves, who is this guy? This is a disciple of Jesus Christ transformed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe today you go, Mark, I hear you, but really, there's very little in me that stirs that wants to be poor in spirit or hunger and thirst. Can I ask you to be honest with yourself? Maybe you're part of the crowd. And that's okay. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. Because Jesus was speaking to his disciples, but he knew the crowd was listening in hopes that they would desire what he was offering to follow him. And so if you go, I show up on Sunday because it's what I do. Or I show up on Sunday, maybe it's your first time, and you're just like, because I feel like there's more to life and I don't know what it is. Hear you, that sounds hard. Would you talk to me afterwards? Can we just have conversation? Me or or any of the guys that are preaching or our elders, would you just talk to them? We would love to talk to you and just just have conversation about what you're thinking and answer any thoughts and questions you might have. But if you go, no, 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 I am a disciple of Jesus, then this morning, stop trying to live. And paste on what you think Jesus wants you to look like. Because he says, I desire for you to be that. Because then you are blessed. The Pharisees, he calls them out and says, you, you look all good on the outside. But inside, you're decaying bodies. It's putrid. This is good news, folks. Jesus is offering us so much. Because he says, this is who you are if you are following me. And there's hope for the sin in us. There's hope that God can transform us. And we can't be satisfied with who we were. We need to let God keep making us who he desires for us to be. Amen? Father, we hear Jesus' words and we know none of this is anything we can do. We can try, we can want to, but in our own strength, in our own sinful nature, we fall far, far, far short. And Jesus, I know you know that. Jesus, you wanted us to see that. And you called us to follow you. To let you die, to take away that sin that, was, that is in us, to replace that sin with your righteousness so when we stand before your Father, he sees us as pure and perfect. 
Father, help us to be a people that want to repent, to turn away from our stuff and towards your stuff and surrender everything to the King. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.